Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. This is your host and founder, Avinash. Today we're speaking to someone who has been featured in the prestigious Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2016. Today we're speaking to Michael Schwartz. Michael, is this the right way to pronounce your last name? Yep, that's correct. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Michael, actually, this is the very first time I'm speaking to someone who has been featured on the Forbes list, so that, that'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to Michael, uh, he's got 10 plus years of experience, ranging from new product development and asset creation to in-market execution and media planning across retail and online. He has worked in some of the iconic global brands such as Axe, Dove, Medincare, Nor, Amstel, and Philips Norelco. Michael has done his MBA from New York University Stern School of Business, also known as NYU Stern. Michael is known to be passionate about mentoring and people development among the team. I guess that's why he's here speaking to us today. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, Michael, that was my attempt at explaining (laughs) um, your journey. But it'll be awesome if you could explain your journey in your own words as to, you know, how you got started in your career. And more importantly, you know, what got you into the Forbes list, first of all? (laughs) Sure. I guess I'll start with the career and then we'll end on, I guess, the (laughs) Forbes list or the um, there's only one way I can go to and it's down from here, I guess, after being (laughs) featured there. But so, yeah, once I got into undergrad, I actually started it at Penn State University Mm -hmm. to try and become a veterinarian. I wanted to study animal sciences and go down the path of helping Mm. animals, which is a huge passion of mine. But my freshman year away from home, I had trouble getting through chemistry and biology. So I figured it might be time for a change of pace. (laughs) So then I transferred back home to a city university in New York, where I started taking some marketing classes and got some internships while I was doing my undergrad and decided that I wanted to definitely be on the brand side or the client side from the marketing perspective versus on an agency side because I was passionate about strategy and the psychology of consumer behavior. Mm. So after college, it was the prime of the economic collapse in 2008, I did not have a job. I ended up temping at a law firm, trying to get any position I could, and ultimately was fortunate enough to land at the global company of Philips, where Mm. I worked on the Norelco brand. And we can definitely talk about the different roles and responsibilities across the different companies if we want, but I was there for about three and a half years working on upstream strategy as well as in-market execution. And then I decided to make the shift to Unilever, where I worked on some other global brands, like you mentioned, Axe and Dove Men launching their face care line, as well as Knorr, or globally it's pronounced Knorr, which Mm, is something I learned when I was at the company. So very food-focused on a strategic development side. And then I took a big shift and wanted to get a different type of industry experience and moved over to Heineken to work on alcohol. And that's also in the middle of when I was doing my part-time MBA at Stern and when I was also featured in Forbes 30 Under 30, which was a huge honor. Mm. And to be transparent, that process was very seamless. They had an application online that I thought, hey, might as well go for it, see what happens. And I was very lucky to be featured in it with some amazing people across the industry, ranging from celebrities all the way to you know CEO and founder 
investors of tech companies that are starting up with you know millions of dollars of funding, and then there's like little old me, the brand manager, sitting in an office. So there's a huge range, but it was a phenomenal experience that Forbes you know was able to recognize. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, I didn't realize it's an online application. I actually thought they go around hunting for people. <laughs> yeah, so did I initially. I saw like the addition the year before. I was like, I wonder how people get into this. So I just looked it up and then saw the application. I mean, I'm sure for you know the larger celebrities and well-known people, it's more of a, a hunting nomination or a PR process. But yeah. you can also nominate other people as opposed to nominating yourself. So I urge anyone, if you guys know anyone, it's an international thing. There's a U.S. list. There's you know an Asian mm-hmm. list. There's a European list. So it was simple. They ask for some basic questions, and they follow up if they want more information. And then it's a phenomenal networking experience and ability to learn a ton from people with many different backgrounds. Wow, that's 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 awesome. That that's really interesting. I mean, I mean, you've been quite modest when you say that uh, you know you didn't have much, but I mean, there must be something, right? There must be something that really stood out and really attracted them uh, in terms of what you had done or delivered. I guess. I, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we would we would have to ask them. I mean, I've I always say it's you know I've been very lucky to work on some amazing brands, amazing projects, mm-hmm. but also learn from a ton of amazing people. And the full team drives like every effort that you work on in marketing, as you probably know. So mm-hmm. I think they just recognize the type of stuff I've worked on, how far I've progressed in my career at that age, where I was, and we'll get into this in the MBA conversation. I was an associate brand manager for a few years before being a brand manager. And typically after an MBA in brand management, you go into an associate brand manager role. So I was already where some other MBAs were at that stage, given the progression I had coming out of undergrad. So potentially they saw career pathing and the type of companies I was working for. But I'm sure that they had a bunch of judges on there, including I think like Jessica Alba or was Mm. a judge and Gary Vaynerchuk. There's a bunch of different people in addition to the Forbes editorial staff. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. No, we'll definitely, we'll definitely come to that uh, in more <laughs> detail. So, so in, in terms of your movement towards the brand, uh, did, it, did it start, I mean, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and it goes way back where you worked as an account executive at Nike. Uh, is that where the motivation really started or was that just, you know, something you, you were doing without thinking through too much? So the, the, the Nike conversation is very interesting so this is not the nike like the swoosh just do it sneaker company this is a a a luxury public relations company based in new york city called nike communications oh really ah i see maybe because i saw among all the consumer brands i was like yeah yeah nike sounds like a perfect fit (laughs) yeah and to be honest i almost intentionally tried very hard to get an intern there because I thought people might have misattribution and it would open up doors for me in the future. So <laughs> I was already starting to brand myself when I was like a sophomore in college. But nice. yeah, so that was one of the first agencies on the PR side that I worked for. And that was mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I was like, I don't want to be on the agency side because you're not driving your own strategy. You're at yeah. the you know, beckoning call of the client and especially public relations didn't suit my personality. But like you can see through my LinkedIn profile yeah. where I really triggered the brand side of things was when I had the internship at L'Oreal right. because 
that was when you really got to understand this is the type of business you could work on packaging and consumer insights and figure out how you're going to sell the product directly to the consumer. Or in this case, it was through the salons to the consumer and what the whole consumer behavior and buying patterns would be. So that's when I really decided. And it was my junior year to senior year internship where I was able to understand that was the path I wanted to go on and then pursue the brand side after that. Right, right. Okay, okay, makes sense. So then 2008 is when you started at Philips, and you were at Philips for quite a while, right? Four years? About three and a half years. Okay, okay, great. About yeah. three and a half years. And then you progressed on to Unilever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went to Heineken. So your part-time MBA was, I guess, during your transition from Unilever to Heineken, right? Yeah, I did about half and half. It was half right. at Unilever, and the other half was at Heineken. Right, right, right. So, so how did you make the decision to even do an MBA uh, while your time at Unilever? Was it something that triggered by meeting other people who you got to meet during your time at Unilever? Or was it something that was, you know, simmering in your head long before that? Yeah, it was something that was simmering in my head long before that. Mm. It was a very personal decision and checkbox that I knew mm. after undergrad where I didn't have a real what I would call brand name university on the resume. It was a you know a local city university in New York that I wanted to go part time because I was already in the brand position that I wanted to pursue from a career perspective. Like I mentioned before, I was an associate mm-hmm. brand manager. I wasn't going to go back to school for an MBA full time and then go back into the same role. It didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I I didn't want to give up you know two years of salary and try to get a new job after that, but. More importantly, I had also decided early on, I was like, Stern is a phenomenal school in my area in New York City where I'm able to get a great education and network and have, you know, sort of the brand reputation behind the professors and the network that's there. So it had definitely started simmering prior to when I even joined Unilever. It was a decision I made as soon as I graduated undergrad that I knew at some point I was going to go back part time. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. That that makes complete sense. So, so besides the fact that you know it's it's good for the brand and it's good in terms of leveraging uh, your your uh, mm-hmm. you know potential in the future, what, were there any specific skill sets that you were hoping to gain out of the MBA in terms of? It could be anything, maybe in terms of academics or maybe in terms of uh, networking with other people or like was there anything else that was something specific in your mind? Yeah, for me, a lot of the specific things I wanted to focus on, and it was one of my, not minors, but concentrations as well, was really understanding a lot of the soft skills and how to become a better leader and, you know, managerial training, because you can take a few classes on that in communications or in undergrad, I did industrial organizational psychology. But if you're not in the workforce, you're really not understanding all the different dynamics that are occurring Mm. because, you know, you're 20 to 21 years old. So figuring out how to deal with certain situations, they even had classes on how to manage, you know, internal politics and the ways that you can position yourselves to be a better mentor or a better leader. And that's stuff that you can really practice in the classroom as well with, you know, situations or reading business cases. And those are the things that personally stuck with me further because when you're doing it part time, a lot of times some of the classes that you're just trying to power through, it's in one year out the other. And you've got to take away a few key things that you want to remember, you know, five to 10 years from now. So for me, it was really trying to become a better thought leader because given mm-hmm. how quickly things are changing in the marketing landscape, stuff that I learned in the classroom that was relevant then won't be relevant, you know, 
20 years from now, but hopefully, you know, all the psychological stuff of dealing with people will stick. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Which are the other universities you did consider? I didn't consider any other ones. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had my heart set on doing the Stern part-time program to the point where I, you know, took the GRE. Mm. I applied and I did not get in the first time. Mm. And then I reassessed, took the GRE again, studied for another, you know, four to five months, reapplied, and then I got in. Okay. So, so you don't need a GMAT? It, uh, NYU accepts both the GMAT or GRE. Ah, interesting, interesting, interesting. A okay. lot of a lot of U.S. schools are now switching to accepting both. I see. Because the GRE changed their format, I think, probably at this ah. point, five or six years ago. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I I, I, I took my GMAT like back in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I think at that point of time they were a little more strict, but okay, looks like it's yeah. it's changed a bit. That's really interesting. So, so why just NYU Stern? Is it because of the reputation of the school, or did you did you like happen to speak to any alumni that you know affected your decision, or was it a proximity location? Yeah, Uh, initially when it first started, like that little you know you said simmering of an idea when I was younger, because I I had friends who were doing you know. NYU uh-huh. as undergrads that I knew was a very reputable, reputable school. It was also location-based at the point where I applied. I was living in Connecticut and I was working in New Jersey. And NYU also had a Westchester satellite campus where you could start your classes. And they have the most flexible schedule for part-time students with the most you know reputable program in the tri-state area, I would say. I mean, Columbia University has an executive you know weekend MBA program, which is you have to get a company sponsorship you have to agree to you know take fridays off so you can go to these classes and you know go through you know saturday to sunday all day Mm. where nyu it's much more flexible where you're taking classes not only with other part-time students but other full-time students at new york city campus or westchester campus and you could decide whichever classes you want to take so after i did a lot more research and they also had um informal sessions that you could go to as prospective students to understand mm. what the options were that really helped drive my decision home further i see i see fair enough so how how did the expectations of the mba match with your reality when you actually just walked in the first day or the first week yeah it was interesting because i was at unilever with a bunch of people who mm. went and got their full-time mbas mm. And at that point, they were all encouraging me to go get your full-time MBA because I was like, well, I don't want to take all this time off. I don't Mm -hmm. want to give up the salary. They're like, you're paying for your network. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why can't I just pay part-time for my network? Like, there's people here. Like, there's (laughs) a difference. But you hear stories about just, like, you know, camaraderie and networking and happy hours and people, you know, just opening up and changing their entire views on life. And... I didn't have that level of enlightenment, but it was definitely an experience where I thought NYU did an amazing job embedding the part-time students together, having, Mm. you know, core classes and opening up specific part-time clubs or networking opportunities, given the challenges of, you know, having a work schedule and personal life as well. Because there were part-time clubs, there were full-time clubs, you could do one or both. And I just thought they did a phenomenal job recruiting people with a good mix of IQ and EQ and that's what they prided themselves on. Right. Where that's really interesting. Extremely you could meet extremely, you know, bright, intelligent, but 
also humble people who are in it, you know, really just to help out others and understand what their strengths and weaknesses are and not just necessarily, hey, who's going to, you know, raise their hand first in class. Like, I know there are some probably horror stories I've heard of HBS, not to knock anyone who went to HBS, but I mean, like it's all about participation where sometimes introverts don't like to participate in large classrooms. And NYU was very cognizant of different personalities, different races, different ethnicities, because it's in, you know, the melting pot of the world. So I was just very impressed by the class of people that I was surrounded by and Mm -hmm. the opportunities that they gave us to succeed. I see. I see. But looking back now, do you, do you think you would have reconsidered knowing what you know now or are you happy with where you ended up? <laughs> no, I'm very happy with where I ended up. The The main word of advice I give people who are even doing the NYU part-time program now is stretch yourself to take classes you never thought you would take mm. versus I focused on marketing strategy, leadership, because I was like, that's what I'm doing now. But like I said before, the things that might last you or you remember 10 or 15 years from now, maybe if I took a real estate class, it's something mm. that I'm curious about, but it didn't fit into my, my concentration list, that would be better. And no one ever asked what concentration I had. They just want to know if you had an MBA. And NYU offers a general management MBA, which is, you know, you just take whatever classes you want and you get through it. And you could just learn a bunch of different things, meet people with different backgrounds versus a lot of the classes I took. People were in marketing, they were in strategy, they were in leadership so you got to see a lot of the same faces and the same points of views versus spreading mm. your wings a little further yeah yeah that's, that's a good point so you, you know how has your life really changed between before and after the mba like are you able to pinpoint some of the specific elements that are actually different in you as compared to before the mba well, well i can sleep a lot more now <laughs> part-time i will say is a grind and you always look back and you wonder, how did I get through that? But <laughs> you do it because you're, you're passionate about it and you're enjoying learning again, which is yeah. you know, something after undergrad you don't get to do that often. But I, I think for me it really is a lot of the soft skills that I mentioned that I'm just mm-hmm. a little more you know, cognizant of the types of people I'm working with, how to get the best, best out of them, how to find their strengths and how to understand how I interact with people more as well to ensure that everyone's moving towards the same boat and winning because a lot of the times you, you just have no idea and your experience is going to speak for it. So I can't definitely say it's the MBA that's helped guided me mm-hmm. or if it's the fact that I've, you know, had more years of experience in the workforce, but that's part of the journey of doing it part-time where you can take something from the classroom the night before and try to apply it at the job the next day. Yeah, yeah. Never really spoken to anyone who's on NYU part time. So yeah, you're you're definitely the first. <laughs> um, <laughs> was this sponsored by Unilever or no? Originally, it was, mm-hmm. but then I left, so I had ah. to make the tough decision to leave and then pay them back for what they had originally paid out of my tuition. Ah, I see. Is is that how it works? Uh, as as opposed because because in the past I've spoken to a few guests and I think in mm-hmm. those cases the companies actually get them to sign a contract saying, hey, even if you mm-hmm. want to leave, you can't. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, we had to sign a there's a tuition reimbursement for part time at Unilever. I don't know mm. if their um their policy has changed since I left, mm-hmm. but essentially you would obtain approval to take classes prior to the semester and then once you receive your grades you would submit the reimbursement form including your grades and Mm. the tuition 
bill, obviously, and then once they reimburse the money for your class into your bank account, you owe them two years of service to be 100% free. I see. And then after one year of service, you're like 50% free, so it's kind of you know retroactive. But I left within like one year, so I owed a, a lot of money. But given the opportunity at Heineken with yeah. you know an increased title, increased responsibility, and the long-term growth trajectory of where my salary could be, I thought it was the right decision. And yeah. I don't regret it at all. It has made a lot of sense for me professionally. So, and Unilever had an amazing reimbursement policy. At that point, they were offering you know like like they started with a hundred percent, and I think they were maxing out at maybe like thirty or thirty-five thousand dollars a year. Where mm. a lot of other companies in the U.S. right now are more like you know fifty. To fifty a year, five thousand two hundred fifty dollars, because that's how much they can get away without being taxed. So, is a they had a great policy that I was able to take advantage of for a little while. I see, that's amazing. So, did did Heineken take over some of that uh, responsibility of reimbursing, or no? Heineken's reimbursement policy was the five thousand two hundred fifty that I mentioned. Ah, I see. So, but it was my salary and you know signing bonus was yeah. factored into the amount of money. Ah, that I, I owe back to Unilever because I explained that situation to them. Yeah. So that's ultimately what helped in the long term. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. So, so you being featured on the Forbes actually did it come right towards the end of the MBA because that seems to coincide in 2016. So how did the timeline look? Did you graduate first and then you got on the list, or did you like get on the list first and then graduated? No. So I had to complete the Forbes application by like I say, October of 2015. Oh, and then the announcement came out in the beginning of January of 2016. Right. So that's when the the magazine came out. Right, right. How, how and we were put on the list. Yeah, yeah. How, how has your life changed since then? Besides the fact that you're more popular, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm that popular. I mean, definitely people people have similar questions to what you've been asking. It's like, how did you get on the list? What has happened? I mean, initially there were you know, questions on like, has this opened up the door with many recruiters and many companies? I was like, not really. Like there hasn't been like an increase of people knocking on my door asking for services. <laughs> I think it just has definitely expanded my network and you've met some amazing people. Like they had a, a congratulatory happy hour in Manhattan for like the local folks. And you go there and you meet people who work for the IRS, but is now a speechwriter for, you know, Obama mm. at the time. And then there was another woman who was visiting from Nigeria, but was from New Jersey because she went to Nigeria to open up a school for parents. So they are able to then go teach their children because there was no education there. Like, And she was like 22 years old. Like there's just wow. an amazing network of people that you speak to yeah. that is just completely humbling. And they're just, you know, amazed, so young and so bright. So it's just opened up the opportunities for me to talk to people and learn more outside of my comfort zone. And then they also gave you um, a free pass to go to the Forbes 30 under 30 mm. summit, which was in Boston last year. And you see speakers from Richard Branson to Ashton Kutcher. And it's like a two or three day event with, with tons of entrepreneurs. And they invite all the 30 under 30s and other people had to pay like, like over $1,000 to get tickets to this thing. So just amazing learning experience overall. Wow. So, so, so basically it's like a much higher version or much bigger version of an MBA in, in, in that perspective, right? Because it helps you network with so many different people of diverse experiences and backgrounds um, as compared to the opportunities you might, must have gotten during the MBA. Yeah. yeah, I think the main difference with the MBA is you are continually having contact and 
seeing these people and hanging out with them. And when you, you know, reach out for, mm. for questions or feedback, they're probably more inclined to respond given that they know you on a personal level or you've grabbed a drink with them in the past. The 30 under 30 folks that I've spoken to are all very helpful and very responsive, but it's, you know, it's more of a professional networking opportunity versus right. you are making like a lifetime friend potentially depending on where you're located. But they have, they have like a Facebook group, like for the people that they invited us to. And then you see comments all the time, like, Hey, I'm in LA this week. Anyone want to grab drinks? Then people are responding to go hang out. So I it's see. definitely, you know, an, an access vehicle for a lot of people, especially those who are, you know, in the startup community trying to get funding where I know it's opened up a lot of doors for different people to try to get their companies on the map. Right, right, right. Talking about startup, which is a segue that I was anyway going towards, <laughs> um, is you know you pretty much worked in some of the biggest uh, firms uh, right now. Have you ever considered moving to a smaller company, moving to startup, or maybe even starting something of your own? Is that something that's ever crossed your mind or on your radar? Yeah, it's definitely on my radar, especially from a, a smaller company standpoint, because of the ability to move quicker and make more strategic gut decisions when mm. a lot of the larger companies are, I would say, not antiquated, but they're very process-oriented. And the ability to keep up with consumer behavior and technology is limited mm. because of how fast everything is going. So a lot of the smaller companies and startups, you know, they have their struggles because, you know, you're in the weeds, you're doing everything, but you're able to have a larger impact quicker when the amount of time that some of the, you know, larger manufacturers that I've worked for would take to fix things there's just so many players involved it becomes challenging but right. in terms of starting my own thing i i don't know if i have that special light in me to get that <laughs> done but i never say never because yeah you, you have no idea what will happen in the future but it's not something that i would try in the near term i'm too risk averse and like stability and that's part of the reason why i've landed at, i think some larger companies <laughs> right so so yeah exactly so if you if you ever had the opportunity to move to a startup like what would be your consideration factors like what do you think would prompt you to take that jump if ever <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean from a startup standpoint it's just understanding where they were in mm. the, the landscape what the proposition was if i truly felt it was unique and positioned to succeed and to the point where i can add value based on my experience whether it's you know my understanding of retail or just brand positioning or marketing strategies like how i could help and also where they are from a funding standpoint and how they're backing is just because, like I said, I'm risk averse. Like for for me going in, starting in, in like a, a two person shop and trying to also figure out you know VC and equity and things like that. I'm not sure how helpful I could be at that stage of a startup. So ultimately, it would come down to like I said, if I'm truly passionate about the proposition and of course the people that I'm working with, I would have to have many meetings or dinners with these people to make sure that we're on the same page strategically. We get along. We could challenge each other. We learn from each other because. If you jump ship to, you know, a smaller shop mm. and you guys are butting heads immediately, it's just, it's not going to end well for anyone. And there's, there's no room for error at places like that. Yeah. A place like Heineken, you know, if something gets launched and fails, you've got, you know, the mothership that will pick up the slack. But if you go to a startup and it doesn't work out, you guys are both out of jobs and probably a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of true. Yeah. I've, I've been in a situation where like, shit. <laughs> 
yeah. interesting. So, so I mean, being in New York, uh, I'm guessing that you, you do have the opportunity to at least meet uh, some startups and meet some interesting people as opposed to being in any other part of the country. I mean, except except maybe the San Francisco and the Bay Area. But but I think, according to what I hear, I heard I, I hear New York is a lot more balanced um, because the Bay Area tends to get a little extreme. Uh, in terms of starting and setting up mm-hmm. early stage companies, New York is quite yeah. balanced. Have Have you seen any of that? Um, whatever I'm describing, is, is that accurate? Do you think? <laughs> I can give a gut reaction just based on like the research I've been doing over the past mm-hmm. few months on the startup community in New York. I think it's probably perceived as more balanced because it originally wasn't a tech yeah. area. It was very you know like a media agencies are here. There's some CPGs in the surrounding areas of New York City. And, you know, there's a lot of banks and finance and accounting firms when Silicon Valley was always like, it's the valley, it's the tech area, there's one type of person that works there, mm. or, you know, engineers or VC startups where New York, there are more companies starting here and talent is starting to be attracted here. But also the types of companies here are all varied. I mean, one can be a pet delivery service or a pet sitting service. The other one can be like, this is how we're going to develop different stocks. So it doesn't allow consumers to be tricked by the larger firms and it's more private versus here's like a healthcare delivery service like it's all over the place mm-hmm. and that's just the startup community and then you factor in all the different agencies and all the clients that i mentioned they're in the area so i think it's just so much bigger and spread out from an industry standpoint yeah yeah exactly absolutely fair enough so so michael in terms of you know everything that you described so far in your career if you had to like tell something to a younger self of yourself, what would you say? Or do you have I anything say, at all? <laughs> I th- no, there's definitely, there's many things. <laughs> I mean, you can always look back and hopefully try to give good advice because if not, then you're not really learning along the way. <laughs> but I think it definitely is to diversify the experiences. I've done that with, I would say, industries by doing, you know, face care and alcohol and food Mm. but since i've had a 10-year career and and brand marketing is you know jack of all trades master of none but just trying to keep your eye a little closer to the ball on where consumers are going outside of the company that you work in because i think this happens in almost every large large company there's the tunnel vision of this is who we are this is what we do this is what we know how to do versus when you are a little bit outside looking and even just looking at your own personal behavior and your own friends' behaviors, you would gain some really interesting insights on where the market is going. And what I mean by that is if you work in a large company and you weren't talking about e-commerce six or seven years ago, but you and your entire family was shopping on Amazon, there, there's a miss there. Mm. Or if you know, you're working in entertainment and you're you're watching Netflix, but all your shows are on subscription on HBO and there's no HBO at that, at that point. Like there's there's a way to keep your, you know, mindset in. Everyone's a consumer. So everyone's a marketer in my mind. Like everyone's always gonna have a subjective opinion on creative. So I think the advice to myself looking back would be is just, you know, look outside more versus inside and realize where further opportunities could lie versus the path that you're originally set and be flexible. Yeah, yeah, that that that's a really good piece of advice. In fact, there's one thing I really ignored is the fact that you mentioned that you have been working across the industries and probably I wasn't able to relate to it because I haven't worked in similar environments. But was it a mm-hmm. challenge for you to actually get 
you know, between the different industries, uh, like in, in your space, is it something that's mm-hmm. considered as a challenge? Uh, as Are there people who tend to specialize in one industry for a larger part of their career? And for you, like, are you like an outcast <laughs> in, in that mm-hmm. perspective? Or yeah, what's, what's your take on that? No, I think I think CPG or consumer fac- packaged mm-hmm. goods, or even some people call it like FMCG or mm-hmm. fast moving consumer goods, they're kind of like in this bubble and it's a little incestual. Like people will jump back and forth, and then like that, I consider one industry, and then alcohol is mm-hmm. a subsegment of that, and it's a little different. Like I would say, a lot of people who are in alcohol stay in alcohol for a while mm. given the type of business is very relationship focused and there's a lot of learnings that come with past launches or different legalities especially in the u.s given that it's like a tiered system and you can't sell direct to retail but i definitely don't think i'm an outcast there's a lot of people at heineken now who came from you know consumer backgrounds i think it's easier to jump from a procter and gamble or Unilever or johnson and johnson to an alcohol company or a pet care company, for example, I think it's harder to do the reverse because I, uh, I think the larger scale of the reputation of the marketing function might be different. And then at the Unilevers and Proctors of the world, they definitely have classes of people they bring in, they train, and then move up the ranks. At some of these, I'll, I'll call it smaller companies because, you know, the CPGs are massive they want people with more experience so they can come in and hit the ground running and it's not necessarily a training ground because they're a little more more lean yeah so i don't think that i'm an outcast by Mm -hmm. any means i do think there is an opportunity to get pigeonholed in certain industries if you spend too much time in one of them and i think there's been a lot of transitions in working in the past 10 to 15 years of people being like i'm going to spend my entire career at a company Mm. and now everyone you know is diversifying and jumping ship every two to three years because they want to figure it out they want to get the pay to jump and they everything is changing so fast that they want to make sure they keep up for the long term as well that's really interesting because because i i predominantly work in the tech startup space and mm-hmm. in this space is very common like to, if yeah. you work somewhere for two years you're almost considered a veteran mm-hmm. um, in a particular company that's really interesting to hear that that's not very dissimilar today in even some of the biggest brands yeah i think it's also just because it's so competitive and mm. some companies i'm going to call it like a pyramid scheme but if you recruit <laughs> a bunch of people from undergrad who are all amazing people there's only so many spots that are going to be at you know the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. so ultimately people are going to leave if they're not seeing their career progressing or if they're not getting you know the increases in salary or responsibility that they want so it becomes a challenge where people are weeded out and then you're always trying to figure out how you can continue to move forward because everyone's very ambitious yeah yeah absolutely fantastic so so what's next for you now michael <laughs> <laughs> well right now to be transparent with you and the audience, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to make my way, honestly, into the tech or digital or ad tech or martech space, mm. given that's where I'm seeing advertising and marketing and mm. audience segmentation development going, because I believe that the types of roles that I've had over the last 10 years will be very different or not even around in the next five to 10 years, because a lot of what we do is based on, you know, retail timelines from a brick and mortar standpoint a lot of what we do is developing different campaigns or assets and taking months and months to do that when the amount of content that's on 
line right now is astronomical and mm. anyone can shoot it on their iPhone. Like the fact that we spend, you know, half a million to a million dollars on a TV campaign where no one's even watching TV anymore. Like everything's going to change. And it's, I believe it's going to become like all data, data and audience target focused to make sure you hit that consumer at the right time with the right message so you can speak to them in the most powerful way possible. So I'm trying to shift my understanding and, like I said, diversify and understand further what's going on in that market while being able to add value for my brand background since I've been on this side of the table for so long. So that's a very long answer to say I don't know what my next step <laughs> is. That's where, I, that's where I'm trying to potentially go, but I have no idea where, when, how, or even if I'll succeed on that path. Yeah, no, but that, that's really interesting, you know, in terms of the some of the factors you mentioned, like customer understanding and segmentation and the audience, um, because I work in growth, growth marketing at the moment, mm-hmm. but I was working in tech product management for quite a while. And in growth marketing, that's some of the things we discuss every day, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what does a customer journey look like? And, you know, how, how can we segment and how can we actually get the right message to the right people at the right time? Yep. Uh, because in terms of breaking that funnel down, in, in, in terms of the fundamentals, I have a feeling that, um, you know, the fundamentals that you have will be commonly shared anywhere you go. Uh, it's a matter of applying those fundamentals in different fields and maybe even moving at a faster pace to test and fail. Uh, because one thing that's really common in, in this space is um, there are so many tools and infrastructure allows you to fail very quickly and learn from it as opposed to making bigger bets in bigger companies where even if you want to fail, it will probably take you months to know if you have succeeded or failed. But here it could take you a matter of a few weeks Um so the, while you have the same fundamentals, you're able to apply it uh, at a micro level and also learn and apply, fail at the same time uh, very quickly. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but, <laughs> but basically I'm excited <laughs> no, that there are a lot of parallels between the two. Sorry? <laughs> I said it makes sense with a lot of the conversations I've been having. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear. So yeah, good luck. And if at any point of time you think it'll be helpful to, you know, talk outside the purview of this podcast, yeah, more than happy to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Fantastic, Michael. So the one question that I do ask everyone I'm going to ask you is, what is the one thing you wish I had asked you? <clears throat> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I know. Because you, you started the podcast out on like, do I need an MBA? Do I not need an MBA? Yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah, I think it really depends on what you want to get out of it mm. and what industry you're trying to break into. And the example I always use is when I was at Unilever, they really decreased the amount of MBAs that they were recruiting because they mm. figured out that they could recruit a bunch of undergrads, train them for the way that they want, do the same level of work that the MBAs were doing for half the price. So, and MBAs, I think, are definitely valued, and people gain a lot out of it, but a lot of the companies don't necessarily require it anymore, because real-life experience, especially in tech and startup and different corporate mm-hmm. environments, are more valuable than potentially some classroom learnings. So, I think definitely evaluate what you're trying to get out of it and where you want to go, because a lot of full-time MBAs, definitely the recruiting is amazing. Like, you have companies coming in. They explain everything. The process is set down, but it can also be very stressful to figure out where you're going to land after you know a year for an internship and then another year for a job. So, I think what I 
that's what I would have wanted to hear as well, just understanding, do you really need an MBA for the yeah. role that you're in or where you want to go? Yeah, no, no, that's fantastic. That's a really, that's a really great point, you know, because uh, in fact, that's something I mentioned in the show quite a few times is uh, I actually, in the beginning, when I was trying to look for a job in a tech startup, after a lot of failed attempts, I actually took the MBA out of my resume. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because in in the tech space, it's actually... um, the problem is on the other end, they did not want to hire a lot of MBAs because they considered MBAs to be extremely rigid and process oriented. They considered MBAs mm-hmm. to be bean counters, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, someone who doesn't fit the culture of, you know, rapidly fast, you know, moving environment. Um, I actually took it out for a few months mm-hmm. and it worked in the beginning to get me a break. Um I think things are better now as compared to when it was when I finished my MBA because um, the universities are doing a better job at, you know, shaping the curriculum uh, accordingly. I think U.S., according to me, U.S. is doing a better job at making sure that the MBAs and the industry uh, people are more in communication as compared to Europe. I think Europe is still lagging behind in that perspective, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with your point that do figure out what you really want to do after your MBA and what you want to get out of it. It doesn't have to be exact and specific because your plans could change um, during your uh, MBA, but it's, it's also good to have the perspective in mind, as you said. Exactly. And to your point, I think the curriculum has changed a lot. NYU, mm. I think, just launched a one-year accelerated tech MBA which a friend of mine is starting is like it's like a pilot class almost and then even when i was there they had like a digital marketing concentration and an innovation and entrepreneurship concentration and an entire entrepreneurship competition every year where you could you know come with ideas apply for grants and things like that so the industry at least in new york city or at nyu has changed a lot from like the classic you know hey go in consulting count beans as you say and figure out how to you know squeeze the most profit out of a company <laughs> when startups are that's not the name of the game exactly exactly fantastic michael this has been amazing thanks a lot for your time today uh, you know do you have any last pieces of advice or do you think you have exhausted your <laughs> uh, your knowledge <laughs> no thank you for having me i think i'll just leave it with if anyone has any questions or want to talk further happy to answer them just look me up on linkedin and reach out and i'll i'll definitely respond we could hop on a call or whatever's best for that person perfect michael fantastic thanks a lot for your time today take care have a great day thanks you too bye thank you for listening to the mba jam now it's time for you to take action head over to the mbajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources